the derangement of our sense-making does run the risk of us coming to blows, of us dividing and being unable to put the nation back together. I think that's quite clear from where we are. And it is amplified by the divisive rhetoric that is deployed by those who benefit from our corrupt structure. In other words, it is important to them that we not discover each other's humanity, because if we did, we'd be a threat to their corruption. So they divide us intentionally. Hey there, welcome to Cancel This. I'm your host, Angelo Isidoro, and today we're speaking to Dr. Brett Weinstein. He's a famous American biologist and theorist. He also has his own podcast called The Dark Horse Podcast, and he's a thought leader in the intellectual dark web. He even created his own ticket, the Unity 2020 ticket, where he sought to unite people who are divided in this American hyperpartisan culture. Today we're going to talk about censorship, social media, the future of the election, and the future of conversations. How are we going to interact? How are we going to interact when we're all censored? He's really an expert on this uh, subject, and I think you're really going to enjoy our conversation. Have a listen. All right. Well, Dr. Brett Weinstein, thank you so much for coming on the program. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So you've been following what's been happening with censorship on social media for a while, and I think everyone has, but you've been a fairly prominent voice on the issue, which is why I think it's a little ironic um, that you were removed from Facebook, um, and I believe you're now reinstated, but that, that event, that tweet you made regarding that event sort of gained some traction in, in our circles. And I was wondering, just before we, we get on the topic of censorship heavily, what is the, the, the status of your social media, of your Facebook at the moment? My Facebook was reinstated, just to orient your, your viewers. I was removed from the platform I had at one time been a regular user of Facebook, but when Evergreen melted down in 2017, Facebook became incredibly toxic and I largely walked away. I kept my account and I use it occasionally, but I have not been an active user. And so uh, what happened was a friend in a private chat posted a link to a Facebook article and when I attempted to look at the article on Facebook, I ran into this warning that said that I had been removed from the platform, that a review had already been conducted, and that there, there was no way that this decision could be reversed. So I took a screenshot of that and I posted it to my Twitter account, and it took off and ended up with 56,000 likes. And at some point, Facebook... Oddly, they didn't send me an email. They didn't post a notice to my reinstated Facebook account. What they did was they posted a reply. A member of their comms team posted a reply to my tweet saying that I had triggered some sort of system for detecting inauthentic behavior and that uh, my account had been restored and they regretted the error. Now, this is all very odd because... I hadn't done anything on Facebook that could possibly have triggered this system. And this raises the question about whether or not there might have been some other reason that some element of Facebook might have wanted to remove me from the platform. 
And the account, Liz Shepard, who posted this uh, notice that I had been reinstated at Facebook, proudly proclaims in her Twitter bio that she has been with the account The Democrats, which I believe is the DNC, and that she had been associated with Speaker Nancy Pelosi. So my sense, actually, is that this was a distinctly partisan action and that had I been a person in a normal situation, there would have been no mechanism to get Facebook to change their course and that it was only the outcry that uh, emerged on Twitter that caused them to reverse course. And of course, that outcry um, is, is sort of fortunate because you're in a position where your outcry sort of catches their attention, right? How many people don't have your platform um, and have this happen to them pretty much every day? Uh, I, I just, I take a lot of pause with, with the comms individual who contacted you because, you know, there's a lot of people in the media who are saying this is a wild conspiracy, that somehow partisans are involved with private corporations that ban certain individuals. And, you know, this Liz, I think she goes by Liz Bourgeois, which is very apt. And uh, it says, you're right, right in her handle with the Democrats, with Nancy Pelosi. And it's just, it, it sort of shocks me. And I don't know why it shocks me at this point. Um, but I mean, where where do you go from here in terms of a position of, look, we had Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg testify the other day. Social media is clearly um, at a whole other level that Americans, the founding fathers couldn't predict. What should happen? What should happen to these platforms? Should, be, should they be public utilities? Well, I, I don't think we know what should happen. I think what we can say for sure is that we as Americans regard the protection of speech as vital, but that the protection of speech in the Constitution does not foresee the transition in the way speech occurs that is occurring in the 21st century. So somehow the constitutional protections are not um, creating a zone of freedom in the place where it actually matters. So is it true that these being private concerns ought to be free to censor at will, but then we need some other public on-ramp to the internet, the generation of a public square where our rights are protected, or are these something like public utilities that need to be regulated in the public's interest, uh, or is there some third possibility that we have yet to discuss? I can't say. However, I would point out that to the extent that the behavior of Facebook, which is actually an echo of an earlier behavior by Twitter, to the extent that that is evidence of nakedly partisan behavior, I think it is important that your listeners understand that the reason that I am a challenge to them is that I am behaving in a nonpartisan way. It is one thing for Facebook and Twitter to be understood to be partisans and for them to be uh, reducing the access of those on the other side of that divide. We could understand that in one way. But in my case, they seem to be reacting to my antipathy to partisanness itself and the fact that I have challenged both parties as influence peddling operations that need to be reined in by the public. Yeah. So, so what you're saying is that they, 
they feel threatened by you because you're not playing ball. You're not playing their game because you launched this Unity 2020 initiative, which is essentially to unite the general public and, and sort of defeat this tribalism uh, downward spiral that we're having. And it's very concerning uh, that this happened to you of all people. If it did happen to, you know, someone who's an extremist, you would be in a situation where a lot of people would be okay with that, almost. They would say, oh, well, you know, he shouldn't have a platform because he's, you know, radical or whatever. What you're saying is so neutral and so broadly acceptable that I think it's furthermore concerning that it happened to you of all people. It didn't, you know, it started with the extremists, but it's now reached you. And if you're, you know, you, you to me seem like a pretty sober guy. You're, you're very straightforward. You have really reasonable ideas. The fact that this happened to you is what's truly concerning. And it's because, at least according to what you're saying, you're not playing ball. You're not playing ball to the, to the spiraling down of, of, you know, running to the fringes being partisan. Um, so you, you think that this was intentional then? You don't think it was their AI that accidentally had a brain fart and deleted you? Well, I think the most amazing thing about it is that A, the way they chose to do this and then to reverse it means that they are engaged in a lie. We don't know which lie. It's possible I triggered an algorithm. Very hard for me to imagine how that would happen because that would require my activity. And how dumb an algorithm would it have to be to mistake me for a bot or something other than a person? I mean, this is Facebook. They have uh, billions of dollars. They are engaged in advanced AI uh, technology for their own business. It is not hard to detect that I am a human being. And frankly, they know a tremendous amount about me based on my activity on their platform over the course of many years. So it would have to be an incredibly crude algorithm and inexplicably so to have seen my behavior on Facebook as in some way indicative of something inauthentic. And what's more, we have to explain how I could have triggered an algorithm when I wasn't posting on Facebook in the first place. So there's something very suspicious about that story. But then the fact that their initial warning to me said that they had already reviewed the case and that it could not be reversed, and then pressure that I was able to bring to bear on Twitter caused them to reverse it. Are we to understand that they had a human being look at this, that the human being thought I was inauthentic, and that somehow that was later challenged by a second review? Or did they lie about the fact that there had been a review in the first place? So the fact that we can see that there's a lie, we don't know which lie it is, and that it took exactly one click to get from the uh, acknowledgement that there had been an error to a connection directly into the, the heart of the Democratic Party tells you something. But as, as to the first question that you asked, there are two possible narratives here. One is that the tech platforms are behaving in a partisan fashion. They are behaving on behalf of Democrats and against Republicans. But that they would behave this way, in my case, tells us that can't possibly be right. And that in fact, rather than uh, advancing a, a progressive ideology, what they are in fact doing is defending corruption itself against a person who has made an effort 
to be nonpartisan and non-ideological. So I really think that's the thing that people should be more frightened about. This is a beneficiary of influence peddling acting to preserve their unfair access. Mm -hmm. So what you're saying is that it should be more concerning that these platforms are essentially telling you, no, you can't, you're not allowed to not be partisan and, and you have to pick a lane and it has to be our lane. The fact that it's gotten to that level is, is what's truly concerning. Um, it, it would be bad either way. If they were simply acting on behalf of one party and against uh, sympathizers with the other, that would be bad enough. But for them to take up a position that is in effect um, against anyone outside of their party, even nonpartisans, is that much more egregious. Yeah, yeah. So what would you say to, and this is something that you've surely heard a lot of, and it's, I guess, a free market argument, which is, well, if you don't like how it is, go start your own social media platform. Uh, they're a private organization and, you know, tough shit, basically. Uh, how, how do you address that? Well, I'm, I'm not particularly persuaded by it because, first of all, the platforms seem to want both sides of the argument. They want the protections of being a, a private entity, um, but they want um, the liberties that come from them being uh, nonpartisan bystanders. So um, the second thing to say is none of us have generated anything we're up to in complete independence. The fact is Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and Google all exist on an internet that came into existence as a result of uh, public funding of a communications platform, the DARPAnet. So to the extent that they wish to function in this realm, they have obligations to us. And it is certainly the case um, that that obligation does not extend to the protection of their own corruption of our political system. A democracy requires open discussion of ideas. That is something that none of us should disagree about. The public square clearly has moved on to these platforms, and those of us who wish to find a public square in which we are not subject to their censorship find no public on-ramp to the internet. So something has to give. If they wish to be private and to retain these arbitrary rights, then we need an alternative venue in which we have the ability to speak the way the founders intended. Do you think beyond just censorship, um, what I've noticed and at least what some data has shown based on studies is that what we see on social media is more often curtailed for us, that there is an algorithm, especially on Facebook, that shows individuals exactly what they want to see and that may potentially um, lead to this divisive sort of culture we're in. Uh, how do you think that issue can be addressed culturally when, you know, this episode's going to come out before the election? Um, are you concerned at all that these social media companies will have basically a monopoly on what is true, quote unquote, and are they involved at all by proxy in terms of what's happening in the streets? Oh, they are absolutely involved. And I think the connection is a little bit subtle. But in effect, what we have is a system that was designed to give the public the ultimate authority over policy. The legitimacy of government derives entirely from the consent of the governed, as the founders had it. 
And what has happened is that system has evolved into something else. It has evolved into a system in which the public plays an incidental role. The apparatus has to appeal to us periodically in order to get us to vote one group into power against another. But then the power that is won in those contests is monetized and peddled to private interests. So what this is doing is creating a kind of, uh, it's creating a pattern in which we are told that our well-being is at the heart of policy, but our needs and desires don't show up there. And that is resulting in people feeling, I think, quite accurately that the system is rigged, that it is rigged against them, but they are not in a good position to diagnose how that works. So they are lashing about in an incoherent fashion, and they are demanding things that frankly make no sense. But it is the preservation of the corrupting structure that causes policy not to be responsive to people creates tremendous amount of harm. And that is the reason that we are tearing ourselves apart, is that we don't have any good options and we are now uh, in large measure seeing demons where they don't exist and failing to notice the one at the heart of our dysfunction, which is the, the corrupting influences of our government. You know, I wanna ask you a question that will probably take a long time to answer, but I'm gonna ask it anyways. You know, you were one of the first people to notice what's going on in the culture with what happened at Evergreen. Um, there are a few other cases with other individuals. There is, uh, you know, before the earthquake, there were some tremblings. Do you feel that we are addressing these issues efficiently or do you feel that things are going to get worse? I feel like we're always playing catch-up ball where there is some bias, and I think it's a, an ancient one, that says that the future tends to look like the past. And so to the extent that the United States has not gone haywire, people tend to expect that it won't. And we are now dealing with novel influences, <clears throat> excuse me, novel influences on our sense-making capacity, and it is causing this widespread derangement on all sides. And it almost cannot help but get worse unless we break the dynamic that is creating the derangement. So there is a, a tremendous basis for us to do that. The fact is most Americans are in agreement about the values that uh, should govern the nation. We are in agreement by and large about what kinds of policies we'd like to see and what sort of world we would like to pursue. And we are embedded in an international picture in which we are jeopardized by some truly frightening antagonists. Those things form the basis for an agreement about how we move forward through history. But the much narrower, shorter-term interests of these other forces are, frankly, dividing us from each other. And that is the thing that we must challenge. Yeah, you know, I, I think in terms of the information that's going out, where you mentioned, you know, seeing demons where there aren't any, um, I'm, I'm concerned on my end as someone who's a young person, as someone who's surrounded by people in the early 20s, where the narrative of what is true in society is so vastly different among different groups 
that part of me, um, and this might sound hyperbolic, but part of me is worried that there may be some kind of civil unrest or civil war. Um, and it, it sounds like a stretch to blame social media, um, but do you, do you think there's any credence to that? Do you think it's possible there could be some kind of actual all-out violence and somehow social media is responsible? Well, um, let's put it this way. I'm a, a complex systems theorist when you get right down to it. And that means that I regard the danger of small perturbations creating large impacts as very significant. The derangement of our sense-making does run the risk of us coming to blows, of us dividing and being unable to put the nation back together. I think that's quite clear from where we are. And it is amplified by the divisive rhetoric that is deployed by those who benefit from our corrupt structure. In other words, it is important to them that we not discover each other's humanity, because if we did, we'd be a threat to their corruption. So they divide us intentionally. Um, that said, the simple fact of not being able to deduce what is in front of, or the meaning of what is in front of our eyes is going to cause a kind of collective psychosis, which is, I think, what we are seeing. And to say that social media is playing a, an important role in the, uh, the elimination of our ability to discover where we are by using our senses, that seems clear, and that that will result in a kind of psychosis in which we will demonize each other because we don't know what's causing this, seems like it is already happening. So yes, social media is playing a causal role. It's not the only cause, but it is certainly making the danger that we experience much greater and it is making it move much faster. Okay, understood. Well, I want, want to end it on a more lighter note. So <laughs> I, right. I want to ask, you know, and it's hard to make a light note out of the election, but regardless of what happens here, what do you think um, we need to do going forward? Do we need to amplify your unity message? Are you going to be doing something more with that? Um, tell me something positive so I could sleep at night. Sure. Um, <laughs> the unity movement did not succeed in drafting candidates and getting them to high office, but it did discover that the message of unity is quite resonant and that the message is actually equally appealing on on all sides. So proof of concept, we're thrilled with what we've discovered and we feel an obligation to move forward with it. We are going to build uh, with more runway, we are going to build a mechanism that has more power and hopefully we are going to be more successful at actually shifting the system in a non-corrupt direction uh, in the future. But in terms of what people can do right now, I would suggest approaching your uh, fellow citizens with generosity of spirit and understanding that the suspicion with which they regard you is being cultivated and amplified by forces that, are, that do not have your long-term interests at heart. And if we can spot each other and recognize that in the end, 
we have actually achieved a tremendous amount, that what we want is noble and decent for the most part, and that somebody wants us to be at each other's throats, and it is in our interest not to give them what they want. Um, that that is the, the key to escaping. And I can say at a personal level, I saw thousands of people emerge around unity and they were um, of excellent character. This was what characterized virtually everyone who showed up. They were interested in not fighting. They were interested in reaching a, uh, a desirable future together and um, if nothing else, it simply created a community in which people did not regard um, a political position that might be held by someone else as indicative of some giant moral failing. It was a disagreement, and those were disagreements that could be had in the way that Americans have for hundreds of years. Okay. Well, that makes me feel a little bit better. Uh, that's a, a light at the end of the tunnel. So I appreciate you coming on uh, so much, Dr. Weinstein. Thank you oh, so much. Thanks so much. This was, uh, this was quite enjoyable. All right. That was Dr. Brett Weinstein. Uh, I just want to make note that you should follow him on Twitter while his Twitter is there. Um, and you should also follow him and subscribe on YouTube where he has his Dark Horse podcast. It's really, really fantastic. And he's really one of these voices that is um, truly nonpartisan and just devoted to basic enlightenment ideas. He's, uh, he's really fantastic and a good figure in this movement. Um, if you're listening to this on Spotify, please consider following us. If you're watching this on YouTube, please subscribe, please like and share. It really, really helps a lot. You don't have to do any of that, but if you wanna do it, it's massively appreciated. We'll see you next week with our next guest. Thank you.